0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel and Daniel in chapter number seven, the book of Daniel and Daniel in chapter number seven. As we're continuing to go through this series of the Millennial Kingdom, we're in a section where we're studying the the nuts and bolts. We're studying how it works, how it's put together. And we have to start with the government, that we saw that Jesus Christ is the King. Sunday night, we saw that historical David was going to be there as the regent especially over that promised land area and that we as saints are going to rule and reign with God. Continuing with the idea of the government and the administration of the millennial kingdom, we now find our way to the book of Daniel in chapter number seven. The book of Daniel in chapter number seven, and notice if you wouldn't mind, starting at verse number 13. Daniel chapter seven and verse number 13. The word of God says this, Daniel chapter seven and verse 13. I saw in the night visions... And behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Jump with me to verse number 27. We see the continuation of this thought. Notice with me. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Now with this as the backdrop, I'd like to hit the subject dealing with the millennial kingdom tonight on the government and its subjects. The government of the millennial kingdom and its subjects the government of the millennial kingdom and its subjects. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you tonight, we're just asking that you would open up our eyes and open up the scriptures that you can let us see a little bit what it's going to be like to be in the millennial kingdom, to see how the government's going to be set up and see what we can do here on earth in anticipation for it. Lord, thank you again for your scriptures, and I'm begging you, please fill me with your Holy Spirit tonight, that you could get your own work accomplished through your word, that you could do a work that would matter for eternity in the lives of someone in here tonight. I'm asking that there would be a spirit of wakefulness, a spirit of seeking, a spirit of anticipation. Be with my lips. Let me say exactly what you want to be said. I surrender those old to you, my thoughts, my ideas, my ambitions, my goals. They're all yours. And I could trust you to do your own work. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. When the Lord Jesus Christ was put under oath during his trial right before he went to the cross of Calvary. Uh, that reference is found in the gospel record of Matthew chapter number 26, uh, verses 63 and 64. When Jesus Christ is standing before the high priest, Jesus quotes to him Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And as De- Jesus quotes this verse, then he makes a very startling Uh, claim to the high priest, Jesus claimed that this passage was about him. That Jesus was this person here that is being spoken of. Notice with me in verse 13 again. I saw in the night visions, behold, one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him before him. And there was given him, that's Jesus, dominion, and glory, and a kingdom, that all people and nations and languages should serve him, Jesus. His, Jesus, dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his, Jesus' kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. What we see here is that it starts speaking about the kingdom of Jesus. And through the Bible, we find a little bit more about this government and its subjects speaking about the reign of Jesus Christ. If you don't mind, maybe I could just hit a couple quick things and then make that application that we know that this is going to be a universal reign. This will be a universal reign. What do we mean by that? Jesus is going to be the ruler of the entire earth. He's not going to be ruler of just one country. He's not going to be ruler of just a continent. Jesus is going to be the ruler of the entire earth. There's not a single person, nation, tongue, people group that will not be under his dominion. It will be a universal reign. In addition, it will be a reign of infallible or inflexible righteousness and justice It will be a reign of inflexible righteousness and justice. Let's run through a couple passages. Back to Isaiah, if you don't mind. Uh, You could lose the uh, Daniel passage. We're going to just look and see what the Bible has to say other places about Jesus' reign. That it's going to be a reign of inflexible inflexible righteousness and justice. What do we mean by that by the way? We mean that Jesus Christ what he says is going to go. That you're not going to have to appeal to the Supreme Court. You're not going to have a second circuit of peers, or the 12th circuit or the Ninth circuit. That what Jesus says goes. And that righteousness is going to be carried out. And there's not going to be a second guessing that it will be right. And we don't have to worry about are they doing it right. Notice with me in Isaiah chapter 9. We'll look at a couple passages in Isaiah really quick. Isaiah 9, and notice with me in verse 6 and 7. We made reference to this the other day, but let's see it again. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice." From henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform us. Here it's speaking about this kingdom is going to be one known of justice, of righteousness. Notice with me Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, notice with me in verse number 3. Again, Isaiah 11 is clearly a millennial kingdom passage. Let's pick it up in the middle of it. Isaiah 11 verse 3. And shall make of him quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove the with equity the poor for the meek of the earth and he shall smite the earth with a rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins now again it's speaking about the righteousness of Christ's government that you're not going to have to worry about smooth talking lawyers talking their clients out of trouble you're not going to have to worry aren't you glad you do not have to worry about lawyers then you're not going to have to worry about someone who couldn't defend himself because they can't speak well and being punished for it. Jesus Christ is automatically going to know what's right, and he's going to carry out what's right, not just on what people say or what he hears or what he feels. Aren't you glad we'll have a justice system that's not based off of feeling? It's going to be based off of what is right. And that's going to be the carrying out of Jesus' government. It'll be a place where justice is carried out correctly. Righteousness will prevail. Notice with me Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29. And notice with me in verse 17. Isaiah 29 in verse 17. Is it not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel." For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off. That make a man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. Now once again it's just carrying this picture that this reign of Jesus' government is going to be one that is ruled of righteousness. It's not going to be one that where sins and things are going to be winked at, but it's going to be a righteous judgment, a justice that's going to be trade there. Not only is it a universal reign and a reign of inflexible righteousness and justice, but it will also be a unified government. A unified government. The book of Ezekiel chapter 37 Ezekiel 37, notice with me, this would be a little bit more lengthy passage, but this is still speaking about a unified government. Notice, (coughs) starting at verse 12, Ezekiel 37 verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I've opened up your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. By the way, aren't you glad that the grave is not our home? that we have life eternal and that we're going to live on this earth after this time? Verse 14, And shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I the Lord have spoken it, and performed it, saith the Lord. Pause from what we've learned so far, this is clearly a Millennial Kingdom passage. Notice verse 15, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph the stick of Ephraim for all of the house of Israel and his companions. Now these two sticks... Is supposed to show the uh, divided kingdom. Remember, the kingdom of Israel is divided into half under Rehoboam and Jeroboam. You have the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. All right, so you have the two sticks representing these two countries. Notice with me in verse 17. And join them one to another to one stick, and they shall be one in thy hand. All right, so here's an object lesson. The two sticks being put together, now you have one stick. Now the Mormons take this passage and go somewhere over the rainbow. That's not what it's talking about. Clearly it is talking about Israel and Judah putting together. What we're seeing here is a unified government. We're not going to have two different governments or 256 governments. We're going to have one government under Jesus Christ. Notice as it goes on in verse 18. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel his fellows, and will put them with him, even the stick of Judah, and make them one stick. And they shall be one in thine hand. So people say, What are you doing with the sticks? All right, let me tell you again. Judah, Israel, put together one stick. All right, he's saying it's pretty simple. I'm trying to make sure you understand. Verse 20, 20, and the sticks wherein thou writest shall be in the hand before their eyes, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they have gone, and gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountain of Israel. And one king shall be king unto them all. And they shall no more be two nations, neither shall they divide it into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them so they will be my people and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them and they shall have one shepherd and they should also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes to do them. And they shall dwell in the land where I've given unto Jacob, my servant, where and your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make it a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever." My tabernacle also shall be with them, yea, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Again, it's talking about for all these years, you had the divided kingdom. God says, We're not going to do a divided kingdom up in the millennial kingdom. It's going to be one kingdom. They're going to be together, and I'm going to be their God. Notice, if you don't mind, there's another thing that is talked about, about the government and his subjects. Turn with me to back to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. We said before that this was clearly a millennial kingdom passage. Isaiah 11. And notice with me, starting at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make of him quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Notice in verse two, how many times the spirit of the Lord shall be with him, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Another thing that marks this kingdom of Jesus Christ and the millennial kingdom is that it will be exercised in the fullness of the spirit. It will be exercised in the fullness of the spirit. Now, this is important that even though we're going to have people with a brand new redeemed body who are not going to be able to sin against God, they will still need God's spirit to put perfect justice and perfect righteousness That again, those people are just going to be used by God to get his work accomplished. By the way, God expects for us to be the same thing now. That even though we don't have a perfect body, we understand that God expects us, may I say not just expects, but commands us while we're in our unperfect body To be filled with God's spirit. So God can get his work accomplished through us here today. Let me show it to you in the New Testament. The book of Ephesians chapter 5. The book of Ephesians chapter number 5. And this is where the message turns. We were talking about before about what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. But now let's turn. God expects us to be spirit-filled people now so God can get his work accomplished. Now, let's see, first of all, the commandment and work our way from there. The book of Ephesians chapter 5, and notice with me if you don't mind, is a running start, verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, now 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine, where is in access. But be filled with the Spirit. When we see this idea of being filled with the Spirit, this is a very important idea. To be filled with the Spirit in this context is talking about being controlled by God. We have all seen someone who is controlled by alcohol, as the reference is. When they are controlled by alcohol, they are still the same person, right? However, the alcohol now enables them to do things they normally would not do. Well, when we're filled with the Spirit, we're still the same person. God doesn't take over us. We're not little puppets on a string. But because of the Holy Spirit enabling us, because we're dead to self and God's now taking control of us, we are able to do things that we normally could not do. I cannot tell you how many preachers I know who say, I'm shy and timid, I can't speak to anyone. But God fills me with his spirit. and I stand up and God's able to use me. I cannot tell you how many people say, I can't talk to anybody, but I die to self and go filled with the spirit. And all of a sudden I can go tell someone about Christ. You understand? Being filled with God's spirit enables you to do things that you normally can't do. In fact, on your own time, go back to uh, um, Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. And see all the things that are going to be categorized. Don't turn there now. Find it later. Uh, And find all the things that he's going to be filled with the spirit of. That's the Holy Spirit. But notice all the things that the spirit's going to do specifically for Christ as he's filled with the spirit and then carried out through the government. Those are the things that the spirit could do for us. You need wisdom, die to self, be filled with God's spirit, and God can give you the wisdom you need. You need to know what direction to go. You need to know what to say. You need to be able to do things justly. You need to be able to do things right. You need to be able to do things in righteousness. Be filled with the Spirit. You understand, if we're going to be the servants of God, whether it's in the millennial kingdom or here, both in the future and now, we have to be filled with the Spirit. Because only God can do his own work. If you've never written that statement down, may I encourage you to do that now? only God can do his work. You cannot do God's work. (gasps) You can't do God's work. Only God can do his work. We can be used as an instrument though in God's hands for him to get his work accomplished. Does that make sense? So with this, the message now turns. Let's speak about what the Bible says about being filled with God's spirit. First of all, all that was introduction. Now let's get to the main message. First of all, being filled with the Spirit is a definite experience. Being filled with the Spirit is a definite experience. We're not going to turn there, but for a reference, Luke chapter 28 and verse 49. Luke 28 and verse 49, when Jesus Christ is getting ready to ascend to heaven, he tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they be endued with power. What that meant is that they were supposed to stay in Jerusalem until something specific happened. It wasn't the idea that they're waiting in Jerusalem and they look at each other, hey, are we filled yet? I don't know. How can anyone know? You understand? It was a definite experience. They were waiting for something real and specific and definite to occur. Being filled with the Spirit is a definite experience. We follow that up with the book of Acts chapter 9 verse 2. Again, we're not going to turn there. I'm giving you references so you could explore this on your own. But Paul is talking to some people. And he asked them, hey, have you been filled with the Spirit? And they go, we don't know what Spirit you're talking about. And he goes back and realizes they're not saved in the first place, that they have to get saved. But when he asked them, are you filled with the Spirit? He was expecting a yes or no answer. For example, when we ask people, are you 100% sure if you die today, you go to heaven? What are we asking for? A yes or no answer. I am saved or I'm not saved. If we get something, I don't know they're probably not. How can anyone know they're probably not? 50% sure? Well, you're not. We're expecting 100% yes or a no. The same thing with being filled with the Spirit. You can know for sure if you're filled with the Spirit according to the Bible. It is a definite experience. Someone said wisely, well, there's some times I may not know for sure I'm filled with the Spirit, but I definitely know when I'm not. That's why we said it's a definite experience. You can definitely tell when you're not filled with the Spirit. You can tell when you're in charge and that you're messing everything up. So it is a definite experience. Second thing, being filled with the Spirit is separate from God's regenerating work. Being filled with the Spirit is separate from his regenerating work. Now we understand that the Holy Spirit of God has a different jobs. The very first thing the Holy Spirit d- does is to convict us of sins for the purpose of salvation. And when we get saved, the Bible is termed, we are baptized with the Spirit. The Bible term being baptized with the Spirit is different than being filled with the Spirit. We have to understand there's a difference. What does it mean to be baptized? The word baptized means to be immersed. When I get saved, the Holy Spirit as a God comes to live inside of me. I get all of the Holy Spirit I'm ever going to get. And he forgives me of my sins, washes me clean, gives me the seal of the Holy Spirit, the earnest of the Holy Spirit. What does that by the way, it's the promise that God's going to take me up to heaven. How do I know for sure that I'm going to heaven? If nothing else, because the spirit of God's within me. And when he takes the spirit out of here, I'm so attached, I'm going with him. It's called the rapture, by the way. <laughs> so when I get saved, I am, get baptized with the spirit. I'm immersed with the spirit. I get all of the spirit that I'm ever going to get. However, the Holy Spirit doesn't get all of me. After I'm saved, I purposely have to be filled with the Spirit. It is a different work than being regenerated, being saved. Which brings me to the third thing. Being filled with the Spirit is always connected to two things. Always connected to two things. Testimony and service testimony and service. Why should someone be filled with the Holy Spirit? That's a good an- question. The two answers are testimony and for service. For Service is easy. Only God can do his work. So if I want to do something for the Lord, I need to let God do the work. I need to be filled with God's Spirit. It's not just preaching. Sunday school teachers need When we go soul winning, we need to be filled with the spirit. When you're raising children, you need to be filled with the spirit. Only God can do his own work. But it's also for testimony. What do I mean by this? Left to my own devices, I'm going to mess up. Left to my own devices, I'm going to say something that I shouldn't say to someone else. I need to be filled with God's spirit to maintain my testimony. Because I can't trust myself. So, when do I need to be filled with the Spirit? All the time. Because I can't be trusted by myself. Yeah. Neither can you. Right? Many of us don't raise your hand. Did you mess up this week? Did you say something you spoke? Did you lose your temper? Was you impatient with someone? Of course we can't be trusted with ourselves. Why do we need filled with the Spirit? So that way God's in control, not me, and I can maintain the testimony that's pleasing to the Lord. You understand being filled with the Spirit is very important. Now this is important because people have a misunderstanding of the Spirit. In fact, the church of Corinth had a misunderstanding of the Spirit. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, if you're not familiar, the church of Corinth had lots and lots of issues. The whole book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is not talking about one issue. It's talking about one issue after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. And that's just up to chapter 6. And then chapter 7, they had the audacity to write Paul. And if you could write the Apostle Paul about anything, you'd almost say, hey, what do we do about this problems that we have in here? And they go, Apostle Paul... We want to know if it's spiritual for a husband not to touch his wife. Does it mean that he's a good Christian? No! What you, that's what you want to ask? <laughs> and so he goes on with the rest of the book. All the mistakes and things that need to be corrected. Finally gets to chapter 11. Chapter 12, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Notice with me if you don't mind. And starting at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Aren't you glad that the Apostle Paul called them dumb idols? I get yelled at for calling things stupid. Paul did. Anyways, that's... Verse 3, wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaketh speaking, by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. Now there are diversities of the gifts but the same Spirit. Now here he's starting to say that the Holy Spirit's able to use people in different ways. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but the same God which worketh in them all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit wherein. That means this isn't just for preachers. It's not just for Sunday school workers. It's for everyone who's saved. God has a plan and a gift for you. For one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, and to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, and to other prophecy, to another discerning of um of spirits to another diverse kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues but all these worketh that one and selfsame spirit dividing to every man severally as he will now this is important because we understand there are diversities of spirit when this truth isn't realized people expecting feeling as just for preaching then some bad results come. For example, let's say that a young man says, all right, I'm going to get filled with the Spirit. I just know that if I get filled with the Spirit, that what's going to happen is I'm going to preach the greatest message ever. And he gets up and the message flops. Why? Because that's not what God had given him to do. And then he says, well, I guess I'm not called to be a preacher. I forget this thing. And he never tries to be filled with God's Spirit again or depends on God. Why? Because there was a disappointment. There was, it wasn't what God had given him to do. Maybe that someone thinks that, you know, being filled with the spirit is for preaching. So what happens? Ah, I'm going to be filled with the spirit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go the evangelistic trail. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to drag my family. I'm going to get an RV and I'm going to start traveling around. But that's not what God had given him to do. You understand being filled with the spirit is not for preaching. And I have to say that because one thing that you hear me say when I preach is I take time to pray for being filled with the spirit and if you're not careful then you start to think the only time you need to be filled with spirit is when you're standing behind here that's a wrong application any time that you need to be used of god you need to be filled with god's spirit and if that's what god has given you to do you definitely need to be filled with his spirit it's not just for preaching maybe let's take a housewife she goes well i'm not a pastor so why do i need to be filled with a spirit I can't think of anybody who needs filled with God's spirit more than a mother. You have to somehow raise these sinners and raise them to the place where they're serving God. None of us have the ability to do that. We have to have God's spirit and wisdom and guiding to be dead to self, filled with God's presence, filled with God's spirit to raise these kids to follow after God because I can't do it myself. You understand? It is a spiritual work. But someone who thinks that preaching is the only reason to be filled with the Spirit, they're never going to seek it for themselves. And they're going to struggle and miss out. Does it make sense? We know that Jesus was filled with the Spirit and it was a definite experience. You go through the gospel records, especially the end of Luke chapter 3 and all throughout chapter 4, he was led by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was led with the Spirit. Over and over, it makes a big deal in the gospel record of Luke. Remember, the gospel record of Luke shows Jesus as the perfect man. Jesus is the perfect man needed to be filled with God's Spirit. By the way, when we're up in the millennial kingdom and we have a perfect body, we're still gonna need to be filled with the spirit because only God can do his own work. Jesus was that example for us. He had to be filled with the spirit. Ah, let's turn there. Gospel record of Luke chapter four. Chapter three, let's get a good running start. Chapter three, verses 21 and 22, you have Jesus being filled with the spirit as he got baptized. As we jump down to the gospel record of Luke chapter 4 verse 1. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and it was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Notice with me verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went a fame around him through the region round about. Notice with me in verse 18 as Jesus takes that passage in Isaiah and begins to quote it from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind to set at liberty to them are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Notice as he makes the application in verse 21, so he closes the book and everybody's looking at him and said, what just happened? Verse 21, and he, Jesus, began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now he just said, what I just read just happened or is true. It's happening right now. What happened? The spirit of the Lord is upon him. Jesus Christ was filled with the Spirit. It was a definite experience. And if Jesus needed to be filled with the Spirit, we definitely need to be filled with the Spirit. Which now brings us to the question you probably been asking yourself, hopefully, how am I filled with the Spirit? How am I filled with the Spirit? And that is a good question. Most people don't know how. Because they don't know how, they're never filled with the Spirit. and They're frustrated. How do I do this? Do I just... Grit my teeth, close my eyes. Come on, come on. How am I filled with a spirit? Well, it starts off with this. You must be emptied of yourself. Until this is done, none of it counts. You must be emptied of yourself. So many times we put an emphasis on being filled with God's spirit. But before we can be filled, we must first be emptied. Let's say that I had a cup. And the cup was halfway filled with milk. All right, so I drank half of it. Half, cup was halfway empty. If I want to fill this cup with Mountain Dew, I just don't pour Mountain Dew into what I already have. I don't get Mountain Dew, I get Milk Dew. In order to be filled with Mountain Dew, I first have to empty the cup of what's already in there. If I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, I first have to empty myself. All right, preacher? That's good words. What does that mean? To be emptied of myself is to be empty of my ambitions, my goals, my desires, my thoughts, my wants. Anything with my has to go. As long as you have your life planned out for yourself, you can't be filled with God's spirit. It's your plan. As long as you have something that you want to see accomplished that comes from you and not from God placing on your life, you can't be filled with God's spirit. You have to die. Die to your dreams. I know that's anti-Disney. Sorry, it's not about your dreams. You have to die to your dreams. Die to your hopes, die to your goals, die to your future, die to your plans, die to your ambitions. They all have to die. Preacher, what do you mean? I mean, you go in the backyard and you dig yourself a plot of ground. You go ahead and put yourself a little gravestone and put your name on there and say, you are dead. What do you mean by dead? All right, well, let's say that we had a horse and put it on the stage. First of all, you'd be saying, how in the world did we get this here? And let's say it's dead. How are we gonna get it out? That's a different question. Now, that horse, if it's dead, doesn't matter what I do to it, it's not gonna respond. I can elbow drop it. I can kick it. I can do whatever I want and that horse will not respond. I can give it compliments good horsey, great horsey, and it will not respond. If we are truly dead to self and dead to our desires, our wants, our plans, our future, if we are truly dead, we're dead to both compliments and complaints. See why it's so hard to be dead to self? Because we like the attaboy. We want the people to say how great we are. We even like to be offended. It doesn't take much. We, we want to be mad at something. We want to talk about something. We let people offend us. We're not dead. If somebody could say something bad to you and you respond wrong, you're not dead. You said, preacher, this is impossible. I know. That's why we have to ask for God's help. But This is part of it. You have to be emptied of yourself. Not a little bit of yourself left. Not just some left. You have to be all gone. This is the hardest part. Now being filled with the Spirit doesn't take long at all. It's the dying to self. If we're not used to it, it takes a long time. Because our flesh does not want to die. It wants to live! Lester Roloff, much better Christian than I am, He said, every morning I start off with a cold shower. Why? He says, because my flesh wants a warm shower. And I'm not going to give my flesh what it wants. I'm not that spiritual. (laughs) But you understand? That's the idea. Our flesh wants to live. And it wants things. And it needs things. And it will scream if you don't give it those things. And it will throw a fit. It means it's not dead. And with all of our creature comforts and with all of our society saying it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. It's harder and harder for Christians to die to self because it's such a foreign concept. It's all about me. Now this is the first thing. If you can't die to self, nothing I tell you on the rest of this list matters. If you're not willing to die to self, die to your dreams, die to your ambitions, die to your goals, you cannot be filled with the Spirit because you're filled with yourself. We just won't die. Once you start learning to die to self, it becomes easier. But the first couple times, you almost think that you're asking for the impossible because your flesh will not want to die. It wants to live. Let me give you an example. We have a missionary that's coming for our missions revival, John Kikinsey. And me and him used to have all-night prayer meetings fairly often. And the interesting thing about an all-night prayer meeting is that going into it, you can feel pretty spiritual. (laughs) Look at me. I'm about one of the few people that's praying. But you know what? After the first hour or two, you start to realize that you're really not dead to self. Your flesh is complaining. Your flesh wants to quit. Your flesh is screaming. It takes a while to put that thing to death. And by the way, the more that you want to be filled with the Spirit, the more that God will show you the places where your flesh is still alive. He pokes at it. You know what a bruise is, right? It's a blood contusion underneath the skin. Just to show you you're not dead to self, he pushes a bruise. I'm not dead. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah, you're not dead. You understand? You understand? Now, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to say that our concept of being filled with the Spirit has to be biblical. Amen. And our flesh wants to live. And we're so used to feeding our flesh and cradling the flesh and babying the flesh that we are not filled with God's Spirit. And thus, we are limited to what only we can get accomplished and not what God can get accomplished. The very first thing and the most important thing of this whole thing is we have to learn to die to self. We have to learn to empty ourselves out so God can be filled. That's the first thing. So once we're dead to self, how then do we get God's feeling? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the direct context is the power of Pentecost coming down. Peter is filled with God's spirit as it comes down, preaches a message. And by the way, 3,000 people got saved that day. And all of these people heard it in their own language. That means when Peter was preaching, even though he was saying in one language, they were hearing it in their own tongue, which is a miracle of God. And so they're all amazed. And so they now say, what do we do? Notice with me verse 37. And now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what do we do? Now into verse 38, it's talking about receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now we understand that this is the day of Pentecost, direct context. However, this is also going to give us the idea of being filled with God's spirit. Once we're empty to self, remember, that's the first thing. If you're not dead to self, none of this matters. Dead to self first. Notice next of all, then Peter said unto them, repent. Here's the first word, repent. The word repent means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Let's just be blunt. You, don't, you can't have any unconfessed sins. You need to be right with God. First John 1.9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The problem is, is we love sin. That's why you sin is because you love it. You want to sin. You like it. You have to get to the place where you say, no God, help me. This sin is wrong. The sin in my life is wrong. No, I have to be dead to self and then I have to be willing to be thoroughly right with God. Allow God to point out all the things in my life, even the stuff I've tried to hide in the closet. Listen, all of us hide sin. All of us hide. Try to pretend that what we're doing is not wrong. If you truly want to be dead to self, filled with God's Spirit, you have to be honest with God and yourself. God, I give you permission to point out things in my life I didn't even know was sin. Lord, I give you permission to point things in my life that I haven't been willing to take care of. If you are willing to be dead to self, by the way, once you're dead to self, it's easier to take care of those sins because you're already emptied of yourself. But if you have any unconfessed sin in your life, you cannot be filled with God's spirit. This is a big deal. Now, as an application, not only do you need to repent, but you also need to renounce. This is a big one. Not only should I not do this sin, I should never do it ever again. Now, I don't know what kind of sinner you are, but I know what kind of sin I, sinner I am. There's lots of sins that I, Lord, I feel guilty. I should have done this. But I'm not willing to say I should never do it again. Now, I may be the only sinner in here, but that's how we are. I like my sin. I'm convicted of it. I'm confessing with God. But you know what? Once I get a chance, I'm going to sneak back into that closet and go back to that sin. If you could be honest with yourself, you'll have things like that. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's lying maybe it's watching something but you have something you should say not only should i not do this again or do this but lord help me never to do it again never to go back to that sin maybe it's bitterness there are some people who like to be bitter they don't want to get rid of it they want to be mad at that person i should never do this again repent and renounce <laughs> notice if you don't mind verse 38 and Peter said unto them, repent to be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Remember that word for, just a different thing, talks about not in order for the remission of sins, but because we had the remission of sins. But it does say baptized. It is my personal belief that someone who's not been biblically baptized cannot be filled with God's Spirit. Why? Because baptism is the first step of obedience. If you're not willing to be obedient to God in baptism, you're not going to be willing to be obedient to what God has given you to do. Are you willing to be baptized? Now, most Christians, that's not a big deal. But may I also say implied in there is the idea of obedience. Is there anything in your life that you're not willing to be obedient to God on? I don't care what God says. I'll never be a preacher's wife. Well, you can't be filled with God's spirit. I don't care what God says. I'm never going to pass out a track. can't be filled with God's spirit. I don't care what God says. I'm never going to be a missionary. I'm never going to Russia. Listen, God, I'll go wherever you want. I'll just never go to Wisconsin. (laughs) As long as you draw lines, you can't be filled with God's spirit. If there's something in your life you're not willing to be obedient to. In fact, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Just to show you I'm not making stuff up. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Acts chapter 5 verse 32. Acts 5 32. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Obedience is part of it. God is always very big on biblical authority. If there is something that you are not obedient to biblical authority on, and when we talk about obedient, remember it's with our heart submission, you can't be filled with God's spirit. Has a husband asked you to do something that you said no to? Well, then you have disobedience. You can't be filled with God's spirit until you get that right. Children, that assignment that that your teacher gave you, guess what? It's biblical authority. You should do it with joyfully. Stupid assignment. I can't believe they did that. Well, listen, you can't be filled with God's spirit at that moment because you're not right with authority. Pastor's giving you something. I don't care what pastor says. Listen, God works through authority. You ever want to say, I want to see if I'm right with God, go to biblical authority and ask for them to give you something to obey. You'll find out how right with God you truly are at the moment this is a big deal. Now, this all starts with being dead to self. By the way, once you're dead to self, this other list is not a big deal. If you're looking at this list, say it's a big deal. Let's go back to the first thing, (laughs) dead to self first. (laughs) Is there anything in your life that you won't do? Obedience is a big deal. It's a surrender of your will to God. If there is something that you will not do, you cannot be filled with God's will. Now also, as we turn to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11 is the direct context of Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray as he prayed, but he ends it with Luke 11 and verse 13. And this is an important passage. He says in the gospel record of Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Something else that we understand is there needs to be an intense desire. Do you want to be filled with God's Spirit? You know, so many times for religious things, we have a take it or leave it religion. And as long as we have a take or leave it, we'll leave it every time. Am I filled with God's Spirit? Great. If not, eh, oh, no big deal. Let me tell you, you can't be filled with God's Spirit unless there is a desire. I want to be filled with God's Spirit to be used of God. Then, also implied in here, you have to ask for it. You have not because you? Remember, we said something about being a definite experience earlier. You know why so many people aren't filled with God's Spirit? They've never asked for it. Kind of simple, isn't it? You say, How does that work? Listen, you don't wake up one morning, throw off your covers and say, woohoo, guess what? I accidentally got filled with God's Spirit. This is great. You're not filled with God's Spirit by accident. It is a purposeful application of God's promises. God promised the Holy Spirit, but he said these are the conditions that you could have it. If you're willing to meet these conditions, here you go. One of them is asking, why aren't we filled with God's Spirit? Because we haven't asked for it. And then, as an application, Mark 11. The gospel record of Mark, chapter 11. And notice with me in verse 24. Mark eleven, twenty-four. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things ye desire, remember we talked about being desired to be filled with the Spirit, whatsoever things ye desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Now listen, did God promise us the Holy Spirit? Yeah. So if I die to self, and then I make sure I'm as thoroughly right with God as possible, there's nothing in my life that I'm not that I don't have any lines, I'm willing to obey God, whatever he tells me to do, and that I want to be filled with God's spirit, and I ask for it, did he promise me I would have it? Yeah. So I could trust his promise. I could trust what God said. I don't have to say, well, maybe. It's kind of like when someone gets, uh, uh, accepts Christ as their savior. All right, now are you going to heaven? I don't know. Well, what does the Bible say? Hmm. You understand? We're basing off what God said. Did I meet the conditions? Yes. Did I ask for it? Yes. Then is God going to give it to me? Yes. Why? Because I trust God's word. You understand it's not a big intense list, but it all starts with that one pivoting point. Am I willing to empty myself? Am I willing to die to self? So often Christians are not filled with God's spirit just for that simple thing. I don't want to die. Now, going back to the millennial kingdom, millennial kingdom, it'll be a lot easier because we're already in a perfect body that can't sin against God. It's much easier to say, all right, I'm right with God. I need your spirit. So that way I could rightfully judge what, these, what needs to happen with these people. So proper judgment can happen. Now we don't have the privilege of being sinless here, but we still have the privilege of being filled with God's spirit. We have to be dead to self totally right with God, willing to obey whatever he tells us to do and be willing to ask and trust God for his promise. And he promised that we can have it. And that when we have it, God has given it to us for testimony and for service. Only God can do his work. Now, this is a big deal. So many churches, even good churches, are not godly churches. We can be satisfied being a good moral church. We can be satisfied that we do this and do this, and we can be satisfied Look at what we've done when we have enough good people here. But we should get to the place where we don't want what man can get accomplished. We want what God and God alone can get accomplished. And if God is going to do it, he needs instruments that he can use. We have to be dead to self. That's where it starts. And that's where it starts for us. The question I have for you, are you willing to die? Are you willing to imagine a grave and that you're in it? It's not my life anymore, it's God's. He could use me however he sees fit. The things that comes out of my mouth should be only what God has given me to do. The things, places I go is the places that he's directed me to go. The things that my hand set to do are the things that He's given me to do. I can trust Him. Does that mean that we quit our jobs and follow? No, God could use you at work. He needs people at work. We go back to that first idea of the misuse of it. God wants to use you where you're at and He'll direct your path. But you start off with that dying to self. Are you willing to empty yourself of your desires, your dreams, your goals? Now, again, those are words until you make it personally. What is your dream? We ask kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? Is that dream dead? It needs to die. What is it that you want to get accomplished? Now, the wonderful thing is that when you die, God will replace him with his desires. He will give you the desires of his heart. Now, sometimes good things must die because they're your dreams, But God will replace them with the same dreams. But this time it's his direction. I'm not doing this because I want to do it. I'm doing it because this is what God has given me to do. It changes everything. But we start with this one thing. Are you willing to die? Now, I'm going to be honest. There's a good amount of people who don't want to die. May I first of all commend you for your honesty. I'm not speaking to you. Is there someone in here that says, I want to be used of God. I don't want me to be used. I want God to use me. And I want to die. I understand on a recording, out of context, it sounds awful. But I want to die. Lord, I give you my dreams, my desires, my goals, my purpose. Anything that's my, I give to you. Lord, I die to complaints and I die to compliments. It's not my life anymore. I give it completely to you. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy unto God, which is your reasonable service. What we're asking you is to be reasonable tonight. It's not my life, it's Christ's life. I want him to live it through me. I don't want him just to change my goals. I want him to take away them and give me what he wants. Are you willing to die? Are you willing to be empty? We're not worrying about the rest of those steps. This is the key. Are you willing to die?